welcome to the Casey City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Good morning, yes, I'm in the house, hallelujah. So good to see all of you. We want to welcome some of you who are new, who are visiting us this morning. We really want to thank you for visiting us. Uh, please do stay back uh, if you can. Um, if you're unable to, we'll close the door so you can still stay back. And we'll, we'll love to get to know you. Amen? I'm just kidding. We won't do that. But uh, we'll try and maybe you can just bring this down a little bit. Thank you. Lord, we want to thank you for this morning, for the way that you move in our hearts, for the things that you deposit within us. We thank you for inviting us into a place where we need to just lay down and just lay down. You've, you, 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 you call us, Lord, into a, into a space where we can safely lay things down. Sometimes, Lord, it is, it is so difficult for us that we feel afraid that when we lay something down, What's going to happen if we lay an offense down? If we lay our will to pursue something down? What is it going to look like? How can I? You know, how can I trust? A few weeks, a few days ago, I was doing this devotion with my, with my daughter and we were looking at just in this frame of mind as we are in. So this is, this is my prayer come conversation at, 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 at the moment. So, you know, sometimes when we talk about praying, we, we feel that, oh, we've we got to come into some sort of a religious kind of a mindset. But I'm, I'm, I'm talking to God and to all of us here as well right now. So in this... In, in this um, mindset as I was, was talking, as, as we were looking at this passage of scripture from, uh, from John, was the context of, of Thomas and how he said, if only, only if he appears to me and tells me to put my fingers in his womb, will I then believe you know, we could look at it in, in two ways. And as I was thinking of it, I was just praying and I was just saying, Lord, man, here's someone who doesn't really trust you or someone who really trusts you or someone who actually really challenged you or someone who dared and said. And I wonder whether God, in our minds, as we consider to lay things down, we come to a place where we feel, Lord, I don't know whether I can and I should because firstly, you know, like Thomas, I unless I have some measure of certainty. And what happened to Thomas? He didn't get a slap. He didn't get a warning. He actually got an appearance from God. The Lord appeared to him. But the Lord also didn't just leave him there. He kind of said it in a very, not in a condescending way. He just said that, hey, you know, here... You touch me, you feel me. But I just want to share this with you. Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. So he takes us and he shows us a higher order. He meets us where we are. And right now, where you are, 
Make that commitment with him. Make that commitment to lay down. But even if you feel you need a certainty, that's okay. Say that and experience him coming to you and taking you to a higher place. Like Thomas. This is what we call a win-win. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. This, this morning, I want to share with us about the, the, the second church. We did the church of, in, in Ephesus, and we looked at returning to your first love and the context of rediscovering your intimacy in Christ. And last, last week, yeah, it was last week, yeah. Last week, I touched on, on uh, rediscovering your intimacy in Christ. So please, it's a fairly lengthy message. So do, do listen to that. I shared, my, I, shared a, I shared my journey. And I explained that not often, we don't always as, 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 as preachers or as pastors come and, you know, stand up here and say that uh, I'd like you to have a peek into my world. Look into my window. Look into this window and see. And, and let me take you on this journey that I'm, that, that, that I'm going, going through. And... And it's a, it's a very interesting journey. And the, the more and more I consider it, I realize that I'm not the only one going through that. There are, I, I would think, hundreds and thousands of people going through that because so many places that I look at, I turn to, I listen to. Yes, yesterday, I was listening to this uh, global world, uh, global worship online. It was for 24 hours. We participated in it as well, uh, our, our church you know, representing sort of uh, Australia. And we also had uh, the worship movement that CJ and uh, Shami have pioneered as well. They too from Australia being part of this and 50 odd nations. And I heard one of the pastors from Malaysia, he was just speaking about intimacy. And he was just going on in intimacy. And I was thinking, wow, this is so good that everyone's talking about intimacy. Because the point is, is that we cannot not trust someone that we, are, that we don't get intimate with. Right? When we become intimate with an individual, with a person, we can only become extremely intimate with the individual when we actually really begin to trust the person. And out of intimacy comes the sense of real trust and dependency. Right? So often in our Christian walk, and if you ask yourselves, if we ask ourselves so often in our Christian walk, we, we walk in such a way where we feel that uh, what has been put to us, we believe it, we take it, and then we follow, and then we wait. Okay, now tell me what else, now tell me what else, now tell me what else, now tell me what else. You know, in that sense. And so we live a journey in what I call a vicarious, vicarious form. I live it by watching someone else. I live it by, 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 by seeing what's happening to that person. Oh, I, I want that. So, let, you know, I, I live it like that. And we go and we want formulas. How did you do that? How many hours did you spend praying? Oh, is it three days fast? You mean at the end of three days, will, 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 will it be okay? Will I get this? Or maybe, maybe it's five days. Did you do five days or did you do three days? You know, and so we, we often ask for things like that. Why? Because we are a people that we want and we live in a world where we want 
solutions. Am I right? We want answers and we want them quick, right? You go through the drive-thru and if they take long, you ask for an extra burger, <laughs> right? Or, or extra fries or something along those lines, right? If they don't put a pickle in your burger, you tell Uber or whoever that delivered to you or you call them and say, there was no pickle. You said that there was going to be pickle. Okay, we will give you something. We will give you another free meal. <laughs> and you feel good about it. And we feel good about it, right? So, you know, that's, that's the form of, of, of uh, exposure that we are, we are all exposed to. So the church in Smyrna, the church of Smyrna, which is in, in today's modern day, it's called Izmir in Turkey, right? It is what I call the consumer church. So we want to we look at this aspect of the, of the consumer church. But let's look at this passage of scripture from Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. Now you've got all of it there, so you can read it with me as well. Shall we read it together? Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. Now, let's read that one more time. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. Know the blasphemy of those opposing you. I know, sorry, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw you, throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Sorry, let me go back to this. How many here are ready to go to prison for Christ? Praise God, I'm in a normal church, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. I feel, I, feel, I feel good too, because <laughs> I don't think I'm ready to go to prison. So we are all a people that are not ready to go to prison, because some of you are afraid to put your hands up, because you feel the minute you put your hands up, it's going to happen. Because that's how we think of God. We think, man, if I volunteer, he's immediately going to put us there. It's as if he has got no kindness or mercy. He's just looking. Who's the, who's this, who is this guy now that's going to, or this, this person now that's going to put their hands up? So, so our, our view of God, our view of church in this day and age needs to take a shift. It needs to take a desperate shift, church. And the only way I, I believe that that can happen is in this secret place that you and I have to go into. We have to pay the price for it. Last week I made the statement and I'll say this again. The only reason that we don't go into the secret place is because you don't want it enough. Because if you want something enough, you will pay the price for it. Anything else and everything else is just an excuse, is just a reason. And the grace of God is there to take you through 
He will. He will. Right, so let's, let's look at what the Lord is, is, is wanting to speak to us this morning. I'll give you a little bit of, 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 of history, in a sense, just a little bit of background about, about, this, about this church. I'll show you some photos as well. And in Revelations 2, 11, it says, anyone, this is the core aspect here, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious... Hear this, will not be harmed by the second death, right? You will receive a crown, but you will not also be harmed by the second death. And in Revelations 2, chapter 8, it says this, and to the angel, who's the divine messenger of the church of of Smyrna, right? This is in the Amplified Version. These are the words of the first and the last, absolute deity, the Son of God, who died and came to life again. And it says this, I know your suffering and your power, but you are rich in parentheses, but you are rich. And he's he's reminding them this. And how you are blasphemed and slandered by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. They are Jews only by blood and do not believe and truly honor God whom they claim to worship. In verse 10, it says this, fear nothing that you are about to suffer. Be aware that the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested in your faith. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful to the point of death. If you must die for your faith. And I will give you the crown consisting of life. Wow. Right? I will give you the crown consisting of life. And Revelations 2, 11, it says this, he who has an ear, let him hear. Again, the verse here tells us very clearly, it's up to you and I how much we want to take on board, how much we want to believe, how much we are willing to commit to. That's why he says, he who has a ear, let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. He who comes, he who overcomes the world through believing that Jesus is the Son of God will not be hurt by the second death, the lake of fire. Believing in the Son of God is what that will take us into his home, into his kingdom. Amen? Isn't that isn't that wonderful? That's good news to us. But that's good news to the world too. So here some, some, some this is the Agora in, in, in um, Ismail in Smyrna, right? It's sort of underground. And uh, I, I think in 2014 or 2015, I had an opportunity to go on this, on this trip on Paul's third missionary journey. And I remember seeing this. And they've got an amazing system of, waterways, drainage, and all of that. So this is still present there. They've dug this up, and this is where it is. And see, right at the back, you see the city. This is a church as well. The synagogue that they were talking about, that's the one. That's the Agora right below. And you look at, look at the drainage that they've had during that time. Imagine that. Right? This is the modern-day Izmi, modern-day Smyrna. Let's look at some 
some uh, 2021 photos. Look at that. How beautiful. Wouldn't you want to go there for a holiday? Oh man, I'd love to go there. Yes. Sign me up, sign me up. We've got a sign up sheet right after church. <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry, whoops. Oh, where am I going? I'm going back. I'm going forward. Ah, there you go. So here's a little bit of a, a, a little bit of uh, background background for us this this morning. I want us to want to give you a little bit of of uh, just information about about Smyrna. It's about it's north. It's it's actually one of the greatest seaports, right? Uh, so it was a hustling and bustling city. It, uh, if, you draw, if you draw a straight line from, uh, from Smyrna you, uh, towards, um, uh, I, I believe, towards the, towards the west, you will hit Athens, right? Again, and Athens was the gateway to the rest of Europe. So imagine what sort of a city this was. It was a very, very important city. It was known for its beauty, for its architect, and somewhat tropical climate, right? In 600 B.C., it was destroyed to almost nothing. It was pauperized, like, right? Then Alexander the Great, he came along and he had a vision to build this city, to build Smyrna into a beautiful city that would thrive. So most historical literature and poetry would highlight and, and this, this important characteristic of a city that was once dead, but now is alive. And so imagine why Jesus uses that. I was once dead, but now alive. So there is a link that he brings in this passage of scripture. And as he begins to speak to the church of Smyrna. And, and this line is an, it, it is an important line. So the theme that Jesus brings uh, to John's attention as he writes about the church in Smyrna is death and resurrection. He draws the attention now to those facing, this, facing persecution that, about the reality of what is to come. Hey guys, it's okay even if you go through this persecution, whatever that you go through, don't worry about it because there is something amazing that is about to come. There is something amazing that you are going to experience. Now, a uh, couple of nights ago, I was watching this, uh, uh, this on, I, I think it was on Net, Netflix probably, Silence, or maybe it was on... Amazon Prime, I can't remember. Anyway, it's one of, one of those. It's, it's a movie called S- Silence. And, uh, and I, I, what intrigued me was that uh, it was about a couple of missionaries that actually went to Japan and who suffered amazing persecution. They would be hung upside down and their heads covered and there would be a, and they would slit the side here, and blood would just drip. And these guys would taunt them, just apostatize, just apostatize, just apostatize. And they would be taunting them and taunting them. And so one of them, one of the missionaries, actually, came to a point where he just couldn't take it any longer. He began to justify the reason why he needed to do that because this was, the, this was the option given to him. If you were to deny your faith right now, 
all of these Japanese who are peasants, their lives would be saved. But if you don't, they're going to be killed. And so he saw in, 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 in front of his eyes, he saw these peasants and these farmers. And, and you know, these, these, uh, these um, persecutors, these taunters, they would, actually, they would actually take them, they would tie them up and they would throw them into the water. Or they would, they, they would chop their heads and they would see that directly right in front of them. And so imagine you seeing now people whom you've led to the Lord now being persecuted and you've been told to do this. If you deny your faith, they will all be let, they will all be let off. And so he began to rationalize him. And this was his rationalism. This was the truth that he began to believe. He said, I don't think they believe the Christ. I think they believe this message. They believe what I am saying. So because they believe what I am saying, it doesn't matter. I will deny it so that they can be saved because I don't want them to die. I cannot take it. I cannot take it. I cannot take it. And so one after another, they were called the lost missionaries of Japan. And they gave up their faith because they justified the reason that others were following them instead of the Christ. So friends, if I ask us this morning, the people that we lead to the Lord, how many of them really know this Christ and have been discipled by us? How many truly have an intimate relationship in Christ? that you and I don't necessarily need to come to church to get our fix. Not that coming to church is not the right thing to do. You know, there was a day and age where I would feel, oh, maybe I better not say too much about not coming to church because then people may not actually come to church. I don't know. I mean, as a pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm being upfront with you. That's, that's sometimes the fear we have. But you know what? I shouldn't be living my life like that. You shouldn't be living your life. You should not want a pastor who's fearful about that. Right? You need to have someone who believes in God with all of his heart and that is willing to put it as it is so that you become who you should be in Christ and follow him and follow him alone. I know Paul does say, imitate me as I imitate Christ and that's all we can do. Imitate those who you feel led to, provided they are following Christ. Hallelujah. And the other thing that Smyrna was famous about was that they had the exclusive rights to import and export a valuable commodity. And what do you think it was? Myrrh. It was the spice. So it was the spice that was presented to Jesus when he was... Um, uh, a few years after he was born by the wise men that came and they presented him frankincense, gold and myrrh, right? But also when he, was, when he was embalmed, he was also embalmed with myrrh and some believe that that was, that came from Smyrna, right? So the, 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 the message to the church in Smyrna was this, that he is now reminding them of this, that 
This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. And so he plays into their situation now. Smyrna was a city that was completely dead and then it was resurrected by Alexander the Great. And now he's coming. John is now writing to them and saying that I, he is the resurrection and, and the life. And he's bringing this, he's bringing this truth to, to them because he wants to highlight a particular aspect that is of utmost importance. And so this is why he opens now this, this letter by drawing this theme of death and life, where these early Christians who are now facing death will be resurrected to a better life in him. So he's assuring them of something that is a certainty of what is to come, which is the resurrection. I mean, how many of us are excited that Easter is coming up, that we are going to be celebrating this resurrection and life? Then he says, I know about your suffering. And so what he means here is simply this, that I know. That, that, is, that simply means I am actively actually present. And interestingly, as you read all of the seven churches, he says this, I know. I know. He brings across this element to, to each one of them and says that despite what you're going through, I want you to know that I know that. Friends, when we go through difficulty, how often do we feel we know? And the reason for that, why that movie was entitled Silence was largely this. Because the missionary was praying, God, will you, can, do you hear, can you speak? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And because he couldn't, he felt he couldn't hear. He began to rationalize what he needed to do. And here Jesus is telling these in this, this, this church who are facing three different aspects that I'll go through right now, right? And he talks about the context of, of, of tribulation. He says, I know what tribulation you are under. And now, you know, friends, that word tribulation means a particular weight. And, and how this happens is this, that when they went through tribulation or when they go through persecution, the individual would be asked to lie down, right? So Simon, if, if you could come here, let, let me demonstrate this, right? So just lie down on the floor if you, don't, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So what they would do would be, would be this. Oh, thank you. So for those of you who are at home, no, put your... I'm, I'm, the, I'm the persecutor, so what, what do I do? I'll do this, right? I, I won't bother about who he is. But what they would do is they would take this weight. This is a weight. It would go on him. That's the first weight that would go. There are three weights that would go on the individual. And this is the second weight that goes. So imagine what happens. Now, because I don't have any more pillows, probably I should just sit on him right now, right? Now, can you imagine? This is the third weight that goes. What happens to Simon? His sternum exactly breaks. The ribcage breaks. And he can't breathe. And that's the sort of persecution that these individuals had faced. Thank you. 
Let's give Simon a hand. Hallelujah. But you know, the, the, the context of tribulation was this. That was the weight that was put. And interestingly, there are three weights that he talks about in this passage of Scripture. Thank you. Right? The first is poverty. He talks about it. The second is slander. And the third is in, in, imprisonment. Right? Even when he talks about poverty and he says this, and I might just actually really end with this aspect because time-wise, I'm not too sure whether I'll have sufficient time to finish. The other two. And in the context of poverty, he says this, right? I know your affliction and your poverty. Even though you are, even though you are rich, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So here's where I want to touch a little bit about consumerism, right? And As, as, a, as, a, as a church, we fall prey into the context of consumerism. Let me sh- share this with you. Now, church is a place where many people come and shop. We call it what we call the commodification of church. It becomes a commodity, right? I'll I'll read you this article. A recent article from the New York Times describes this. The construction of the new Swami Narayan Ashkadam, Ashkadam Temple Complex in East Delhi as the Disney touch at a Hindu temple. This new mega temple boasts an indoor boat ride, a large format movie screen, a musical fountain, and a hall of animatronic characters that may well remind us that really it's a small world after all. There are even pink sandstone elephants on parade. So perhaps, the article says this, perhaps, The Hindus are learning something from Western religious culture. As the reporter states, India already has a lot of Hindu temples. So if you want to persuade people to slip their shoes off for a new one, you've got to be imaginative. You've got to imagine. You've got to come up with new things, right? So Western Christianity in recent years has become so accustomed to adding things borrowed from the secular culture, even from Disney, to attract worshippers that such, that such embellishments to an American megachurch. So this is what this article says, that this is what now the churches are having to do. You know, on Tuesday or on Monday when we have our debrief, we talk a lot about, okay, so now what, so how is the welcome this morning? So you, you will... I don't know whether you realize, but this is what happens. On Monday, we critique our entire service. Not in a bad way, but we go through, okay, what was it? How did, how did Krista and Stephen do the welcome this morning? We will, honestly, we will be discussing that. How did the worship go? What was the flow like? What was the message like? 
You know, we go through all of that so that we can become better and consistent. Are we engaging people? You know, was the welcome really good? Who, you know, who was out there welcoming people? When we announced, did the, were the announcements clear? Was the video clear? You know, we do so much of that. So you think the life of a pastor now is just praying, fasting, reading the Bible? No, it's, it's way more than that. It's so much more than that. Let me, let me continue to read this. Unfortunately, the freedom to choose how to express one's spirituality has led to what we call the commodification of the Christian faith, where it has become a commodity. In many ways, the gospel has become a product for sale by the church. So there are times when this commodification of faith borders on what we call, or what the writer calls, absurd. One can now purchase at select Christian bookstores and on the internet such items as the full armor of God pajamas. <laughs> Holy order eaters. Made from actual soil taken from Jerusalem. Mary or, jo- Mary or Jesus bobbleheads. And here this, a pet baptizing kit complete with a certificate of baptism. Gospel magi glasses in which the face of Christ mysteriously appears when the glasses are filled with water. And the writer says this, oh, my personal favorite, the Holy Trinity Lego set. Now, most of the commodification of the Christian faith, however, occurs in much more subtle ways. And they are up there. Pastors are trained in corporate models of church leadership. Churches adopt secular business strategies such as branding, advertising, market research to compete with one another. It is no wonder that people looking to participate in community of faith describe their search as church shopping. Some of you are visiting us today. (laughs) I'm not directing this message to you at all. I'm directing this message to us. It's a message that we all need to hear, but it's a message that I need to hear. And I'll tell you why. People shop for community or faith in the same way they shop for other products. They judge a church based on convenience. They judge the church based on the quality of ministry. You are judging what I'm, how I'm preaching, what I'm saying, what I'm this, what I'm that. You know, how worship went today, you know, all of that. That's just going through your mind. Right? Or going through some people's mind. Personality fit. Can I really fit with these people here? Cost benefit ratio. What does it cost and what's my benefit? The cost to come here at 1030 is going to be this. What's my benefit? That's the cost benefit ratio. Sermons that are relevant and easy to listen to. So you're just you know, we boost everyone's ego. We encourage this. We say, oh, you're awesome. You're fantastic. You're this. You're a, you're a conqueror. You are more than able to. That's it. 
Guys, come on, let's go and conquer the world. And you go tomorrow and something happens and you wonder now, man, they just said that I can conquer the world and what, what in the world, why, 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 why did this happen? Why did my water pump in my car now, you know, kind of give up like that and now it's going to cost me 1,500 bucks to fix that? Where do I have this money? Where do I have this? Where do I have that, right? Worship that fits personal preference and musical taste. Oh, all those songs today. Oh, God, I'm glad they choose I Exalted because that's my favorite. All the other songs, ah. You know? Children's ministries, their youth ministries, their ladies' ministry, men's ministry. I can't go to church, you know, and, and have my kids around because, I mean, I have them six days a week now. When I go to church for that one and a half hours, I just want some peace of mind. So, do you have children's ministry? Do you have youth? Do you have that? Now, friends, you've got to hear me. That's not wrong to ask. But let me, let me, let, let me, let me, let me take you into my world. So what we do, we come, we begin to now work out and wonder. Do we have good children's ministry? Do we have good uh, kids' ministry, I mean, uh, youth ministry? Do we have this? Do we have that? Do we have all of that? So what we do is this, that as churches, we give so much and demand very little. How do the chairs get into this place. On Friday, two people. This man here, Con, and Shami, right at the back there. Who's our business manager? He puts these chairs. So for two days, I've been thinking and telling him, you can't be doing that. You've got a stack of other things to do. Let's get men's ministry. Men's ministry that come on Saturday to assist. Let's get the youth. Let's get something. Let's get other people to assist. But so often we think everything happens here magically. I know you don't think like that. And many don't think like that. But the, 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 the consumer mindset that has seeped into the church has taken away the responsibility that we have towards one another and towards the house of the Lord. We're putting it into the hands of what we call professionals. And that's what happens to it becoming a commodity. So when, when the indictment against this church comes about their poverty and he says, hey, but you are rich. You are rich in a sense of Time. You're rich in a sense of gifting. You're rich in a sense of talent. You're rich in all of that. I, as, a, as a pastor, you know what I did? My background has been music. I know peanuts about management. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know how to write a uh, constitution. We first planted this church in 2003 from virtually nothing. We had my family and few others come. We started in an alpha. One thing led to another. I needed to pay myself a salary. I was, I was asked to uh, uh, coordinate a, a music program in a school. So I said, yes. We did that. And our drummer, Simon, came through that. 
So I did that for a few years. The money that we got came into the church to pay me my salary. Then we started a before and after school care so that we could meet the needs of the people out there so that, that we could do pre-evangelism. That was our goal. Again, to raise funds so that we could meet the needs, so that we could work in the community, so that we could continue to uh, uh, plant churches everywhere else. And then came, oh dear, how, how, how do you run a childcare? You don't, you don't know. Now I'm sharing these things with you just to give you a glimpse of then what I then had to do. So after a few years, I felt, no, let, let, let me do my master's in ministry because I, I really feel I need to study. And I did that. And right after that, you know what? Because people were coming and saying, no, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to set up your, 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 your governance structure. This is what you got to do, blah, 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 all this and that. And it's like, it, it, was, it's, it, it became like a salad in a sense that you're getting so many different pieces of advice. So I thought, oh, let me go and do my MBA so that I could get some business knowledge. So as a pastor, I now go and study a secular degree. And I finished my grad cert and I felt that's enough. I don't need any more because I'm not interested in paper qualifications. And by the way, I paid it out of my own pocket, not out of the church. Because it was my commitment to try and better myself. But friends, the reason I'm sharing this with you is only for one reason. Not to, not, not to portray that, wow, you did all of this. No, to tell you that the pressures of ministry and the morphing of church tends to push the best of us into a place where we feel we need to get so many other aspects to help you do a better job to serve people. That has to change. Church cannot be like that. We can't. I'm not a Brian Houston nor any of these great preachers or we are not the Hillsong Planet Shakers or this or that that have amazing amazing facilities and, and, and abilities. We are Casey City Church that loves the presence of God. That have a vision to take the word of God out there. It is this, that even our tagline now is potentially going to change. Our tagline is transform communities through knowing Christ and loving people. The discussions I'm having with our team is this, that the Lord doesn't call us to transform communities. The Bible doesn't say we are to transform communities. The Bible says transform yourself. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you see him face to face, you shall be transformed. The outpouring of that or the byproduct of that will see places transformed. But our priority is to transform ourselves. We can't change something when we are not changed. I can't lead people to a place that I've not gone to before. Amen. So the church in Smyrna now, he comes to them and he says this aspect of, 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 cons of consumerism, right? 
And he, and he says that though you are poor, you are actually really, really rich. And also, just to give you context, in the, in, in the case of Smyrna, they were a people where Christians were sort of outlawed, that they couldn't even run their own businesses there because they were not the favored ones. So tell me if you don't experience that today, you are given a particular look, you're given maybe a, a, a sort of a, you're made to feel second class in some way or other if you begin to convey your set of beliefs, Right? you'd probably get the worst spot in the bazaar, in a sense. So life wasn't easy for them. And yet he reminds them, you are rich, you are rich, you are rich. So the current circumstance that you're in does not make you who you are, friends, because God has something far better for you. That's why he says that he brings the context of death and resurrection. Until you experience this resurrection in you personally, until you yourself are, are, are convinced that this is not the be-all and end-all of life for me. This is not the be-all and end-all of my experience. I may be facing the, the worst aspect in my life at this moment. And maybe what I need to do is virtually the word that was given to us today. Come and lay it down. Lay your, your the 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 poverty mindset down. Lay the the consumer mindset of shopping around down. That I come, and I I, I think I'll I'll, I'll probably need to share this as a a part two aspect because there's there's a terminology that is used that came out of the States which talks about individualism and consumerism. And that's a, that's, that's a, that's a really important aspect to look at because it gives you and I the verbiage as to why the church is in the place that it is and how we have to shift this, this aspect. But, the, but the, second, the, the second element of tribulation was um, that, that he highlight, highlighted to them was slander. The blasphemy that they were getting. You know what was happening in that day? especially with the Jews, the Jews hated these Christians because they made a pact with the Romans. And now suddenly you come and now the the Christians are highlighting a particular aspect that the Jews were now finding difficulty to relate to and they were losing, they were losing their grip. So they began to slander. So they made, they said these, these things. They said that, oh, you know, these Christians, they have orgies, Right? They have these, uh, and, and, and they accuse them of being cannibals because when they have communion, they are actually eating the flesh of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. So they, they accuse them of cannibalism. And the other is because they refer to themselves as brothers and sisters, and in the Roman context, family was a big thing. The family unit is a big thing. And so here now, what they're saying is this. Oh, these Christians, you know what they're teaching? They're teaching you to forget your family and begin to embrace all the others as brothers and sisters. So let's be more concerned about the others and not about our own family. Right? That was, that was the, um, the, the second weight. And the third and the final weight was this, that you would be put, that they were gonna face imprisonment. And 
the 10 days was not a literal 10 days. It was a metaphorical term that was used to tell them that it was only going to be for a short while. It was only going to be for a, for a short season, so to say. And when you go through that, you have to remember that there is going to be this afterlife, the sense of resurrection, and that they would get the crown. And again, I'll end with this. The crown was, was simply this. On their, on their money, on their coins, was, the, was, was a crown. And so in their language, in their understanding, seeing that when, when that term crown was used, it pretty much brought across to them that, wow, I'm going to receive the riches. I'm going to receive this amazing thing. I mean, you know that in that day and age, whenever they won, whenever they would, um, uh, they would participate in a particular sporting uh, in a particular sport, and when they would come first or second or third or whatever, and I think it's first, they would be given this crown and it would be put on their heads. So, so here again, John was speaking into this situation to bring about the context that you will receive this crown, you will receive this riches, you will be, be at the end of the day anointed in such a way that you will be recognized. And that was the thing that was being put across. So how does all of that apply to us today? We go through, a lot, we go through lots of tribulations, right? We are in a day and age where the things that we say are going to indict us, are going to impact on us, right? If we speak incorrectly, if we refer to a particular because of this... Uh, because of the situation that we face and, and a bill that has been passed, particularly in the state of Victoria, we are not allowed to dis, supposedly discriminate between different sexes. Right? We can't now say male, female. We can't generally say that as a, as a minister marrying someone. I was, I was asked this. As, I, was, I, was asked, I was asked this by a couple that I was... I was marrying. Can you please not refer to, you know, that reference where you say that the Bible created male and female? Can you not say male and female? So I was, I was put in that context. And I had to make a choice. And obviously the choice that I made is to go ahead with what the Bible says. But to also put it in a context where I was not going to overtly offend this individual. And, and this is important, friends. Sometimes as believers, we think, who the heck these guys are? I don't care. I'll just say it as it is. That's not what God demands of us. There needs to be empathy. There needs to be a sense of compassion without diluting what you believe. So how do we come across in an empathetic way and still hold to the truth? It's important for us, friends, because Jesus will hold us accountable to that. He's made that person in his image. That person may not know that. 
and even believe that or even care about that. But it is those, those of us who now have the sense of what it means to love. What it means to embrace. So we face this. We are a church of Smyrna. Where we have a particular richness of the grace of God, of the kindness of God, of the mercy of God, which we need to deliver to the people out there. This is not a message to say that it's that we as a church believe that's all okay. No. You heard me say last week, I think it was, that a, a, a church in, in the States, uh, the Southern Baptist Movement had disfellowshipped the church for allowing a gay couple with their kids to come into the church. So that was a big, that was a big issue. Now, where is that couple going to go to? Where is that couple going to find Jesus? In the truest sense. Yes, fair enough. That's sin. We say that. And it is. So do we tell the gossiper not to come to church? Do we tell the occasional adulterer not to come to church? Do we tell the porn addict not to come to church? Do we tell those who live a de facto life, don't come to church? Where do you draw the line? Where do we draw the line? Do you think these are easy decisions for us to make? And yet as pastors, we need to learn management. We need to learn about corporate governance. I need to learn how to read a profit and loss, a balance sheet, cash flow, and yet pray, fast, read the word, understand what the Greek says, what the Hebrew says. Visit, pray, I mean, uh, marry, bury, baptize. All of that. So what part can you play as a church? One, understand the times. Two, have mercy and compassion on us as leaders, as pastors. We don't, we don't always have it right. But we as a leadership will not deny anyone to come into this church. We cannot. Otherwise, we will not have a church. Because many of us here fall into one category of sin or other. So the tribulation and the persecution that they face was not just from out there, was from within. We can choose now, after hearing this, to be a divided church or to be a church that says, how do I become a boundary keeper as we, dis as we 
went through the, the church of Ephesus. Keep to the boundaries. Keep to the truth. Know the truth. The simplest way is this. Firstly, know the truth. Know what the Bible says about it. Not just the, 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 the don'ts or the do's and don'ts. But know what the Bible says about the whole context of the goodness of God leads people to repentance. Know that aspect. Know what does it mean to be merciful. Know what it means to truly love people. I'm, at, this, at this moment, it's a bizarre season I'm in. I'm getting individuals that I've never been in touch with for a long time get in touch with me. Some are guys that I didn't want to get in touch because of their lifestyle. And I kick myself for not being in touch with them. Because if the love of God and the mercy of God has touched me and has touched you, do you have, do you think you and I have the right to keep it to ourselves just because we feel extremely uncomfortable with particular things or just because we have a particular theological bias or just because our belief system that has been put to us has been this. Every fiber, every thread in me is being challenged at this point in time in the season that I'm in. And so as I look through scripture, I want to leave us and, and I'm, I'm, I'm forced and I feel we are and I believe we are forced to relook and to rediscover our intimacy in Christ. Because when we get intimate with Christ, we come to truly know what my Christ is truly about. What my Christ is truly about. So let me leave you with this one question that the church in Smyrna had to ask themselves. What does a good church look like? What does a good church look like? Let's bow our heads and our, and our hearts and let's, let's internalize this for a moment. And if there's disappointment or anger or frustration or whatever that arises from deep within, Let me encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you through this. But please don't do this. Don't just leave. Don't just say that, oh, I'm not going to go to that church because these guys, you know, do things that probably make me feel uncomfortable and probably my kids. 
stay a little bit longer so that you get the full picture of who we are. So that you get to really know us. If you've been looking for a, for a church, I will proudly say look no further. And not even, there's not even a tongue-in-cheek thing. I don't know whether I said it here, but I asked my wife this question, if you resign, which church are you going to go to? And so before she asked me, I mean, before she answered, because I was afraid to listen to her answer, I still don't know what her answer is. I said, oh, if I resign, where will I go to? I had to ask myself, why am I asking her? I need to. If I resign from this church, where will I go? Not that I'm planning to, just saying that if I were to resign. And I thought, I went down the list. I won't tell you the names of the churches that I went down the list, but no, I won't go to this church. No, I won't go to that. No, I won't go to that. No, I won't go to that. Because, not because there wasn't a choice, but because simply this, I said. I love this church. I love the people here. I love the worship here. I love the teaching here. I love what we stand for. I love the vision that God has given this church. And so I thought, wow. And then I began to think, my daughter is 13. Is she going to be here in 20 years from now? Will she marry someone from this church? Will she? You know, all those things are going through my mind. And I'm thinking, yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? So this is not a shop front. It's not something that's here today and 10 years later it's going to move. We're going to be here until the Lord comes. As a community, as a family. And we will work through and walk through and persevere right through every tribulation every sense of poverty and every sense of slander that may be put to us. Because we believe that there is a crown for those of us who overcome. There's a crown for you. Amen? Hallelujah. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. just like for us just to sing this one song as we close, refine us. Make that our altar. And the, and the challenge is 
or the encouragement rather, I won't say challenge, the encouragement is, is for us to just examine this question. What would a good church look like? And as you know, the church is you and I. Mm. 